right, so let's get started. I'm Pastor Sam. I, uh, you don't know who I am. Why are you cheering? I may be the worst speaker of all time and you're cheering, so that's, that's great. Well, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's been 15 years since I've been a junior high pastor. So, which is, which is uh, longer than some of you are, uh, unless you've been held, held back a lot. Like, it, that's, most of you guys weren't alive when I was a junior high pastor. And uh, so I'm a pastor out in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, is it, are you from Minneapolis? Yeah. Are you, really? Yeah. Okay, let's talk later. All right, that's great. Um, I hope she's not lying. That's really bad. Uh, but, but let's talk. That's great. Um, and um, my wife and I and our four kids, they're in the very back row. We're going to be around all week long. Um, they're very, very cute. I have a two-year-old, four, two four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old. And um, yeah, so please uh, be kind to them. Be nice. If you're not, they will tell on you. We're working on that. But they'll tell, you, tell on, on you to me. So let's just not do that. Be kind to them. They're super excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. But... The reason why I said it's been 15 years since I've been a youth pastor or a junior high pastor is, is I've been trying to remember like, okay, how do you, how do you, how do you talk to junior hires? So like you guys are like a different species. Um, that's at least how people think of you. But actually, I was uh, Harrison, Harrison Wise up here who did that great sound effect. I was his youth pastor. So I started thinking about the time when I was his youth pastor. We had a really amazing youth group. We used to come over here to Ponderosa as well. And I was thinking about why why was our youth group so special? Why did they listen to me? It was it because I was funny? Now, I'm not that funny. I'm like medium funny, okay? I'm not that funny. I'm sometimes interesting. But then I asked myself, why did Harrison lock in? Why did our youth group really grow to be a special thing? And it's because of this. I really took them seriously. I looked at a bunch of high schoolers and sometimes middle schoolers who snuck into our high school services, and I, and I really believed that they had something to say. I really believed in their stories. I really cared about their suffering. I believed that I treated them like adults. And I didn't belittle the challenges at home, the challenges at school. I believed God could do amazing things through them. I believed he could change the world through them. And at the same time, I think they really latched on and listened to me because they're like, dang, this guy actually believes in this stuff. Like he really does. He really, really believes in this stuff, and I do. I really believe every word of this book. I really believe Jesus is the answer to literally everything in our world. And so I'm so excited to serve you this week with God's word, and I'm excited to get into it. Honestly, it's very awkward and weird when you're talking to a group that has never met you before. Because, you know, in the first few minutes, you're, 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 you know, if you take a public speaking class in college or something like that or in high school, they're like, you got to grip them in the first few minutes. So you're like, tell a funny joke or tell some sort of interesting story that loosely kind of is connected to what you're talking about, but just to get their attention. Um, but, but I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to jump right in here. And, and I want you guys to know that I really am excited to serve you. And I'm praying for you. And, and I want, to, want you to know this. As I was praying for you, I had a sense from, I believe, the Holy Spirit that there's some of you who are really excited. Some of you here are really excited to be here. Not because of all this stuff here and, and, and all this stuff we're doing, but because you're just really excited to escape your family, you know? And I know that sounds funny, but if that's you, you're probably not laughing, you know? I mean, all of us are annoyed by our parents at some level. I'm 33. I'm still annoyed by them. I Hopefully, they don't listen to this, but... 
But I think there's some of you here are really hurting at home, and you're here for an escape, and you're so excited to be here. I see you. And, and I feel like God has something special for you. He wants to meet you here. And he wants to meet all of us this week. I'm really excited about that. I, I, I'm not used to preaching with two, so I, I forgot you guys, you guys, there's people up there, okay. All right, so I'm gonna try to look at you guys too. Um, I'm gonna put up my phone and set a timer so that I don't preach for two hours, so I'm gonna put this here. Let me ask you guys a question. Why should you listen to me? Should you listen to me here because Hume put me up here or because Harrison knows me or whatever reason? No, you shouldn't. You should be speaking, you should be listening to me if I'm accurately sharing with you what's in this book. Because if I'm accurately sharing with you what's in this book, it's as if God himself is speaking to you. Really. And so what I'm gonna ask you to do all week long, weekend, is to have a Bible open. If you don't have a Bible, please talk to a red coat. And I want you to have your Bibles open. Read along with me. They will be on the screen to help you follow along, but have your Bibles open. Check my work, because I could be wrong. You need to know what I'm saying is actually from God, and not just my opinion. And so often, you just see a guy up here, and you're like, oh, he's probably trustworthy. You don't know if I'm trustworthy. And even if I have, a, even if I have good intentions, and I don't mean to lie to you, I could be wrong. And so I want you guys to be rooted in this. And you go to the source, and if I'm being accurately, am I accurately representing the source, then you listen to me. Does that sound good? Because who am I? I have so many blind spots that I don't know about yet. I don't know all the things that I'm missing, and so at the end of the day, I want you to go here. So it doesn't matter if I'm 10, or if I'm 80, or if I'm super relevant and have really good middle school jokes, or if I don't, if I'm bringing you this, then it's as if God is speaking to you. And that's what we want. We want to hear from God. We want to hear and meet with God. So please bring your Bibles, open them up. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it feels super foreign, strange, and weird. This is a great weekend to get comfortable with God's word, acquainted with God's word. Now, Harrison stole some of my thunder earlier, and he asked you guys, how many of you guys are familiar with the book of Jonah? And a lot of you guys raised your hand. And if you didn't raise your hand, I'm so glad you're here. If you're not used to this stuff, this all this like Jesus-y stuff, it's like, wow, this is so weird, I'm not into this stuff. Man, I'm so glad you're here, and I, I'm so grateful, and I would love for you to be super honest this week. I really, really struggle with hypocrisy, because I hate my, my own hypocrisy, but if you're here, and you're, you're just like, man, I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. I'm just here because that girl over there in that other youth group, or whatever it is, or I'm here because my parents made me, or my friend manipulated me and tricked me, and then I showed up, and it was like supposed to be a fun camp. It's like Jesus camp. You're like, what am I doing here, man? You tricked me, bro. I don't know why you're here, but you're here. And I want to make the most of it. And listen, so if that's you, so glad you're here. But if you grew up in church, and you're vegetailed and all that kind of stuff, that's good, but it's also bad. Because here's the deal. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you here have carefully studied and read through the whole book of Jonah? Now, if you were to raise your hand, I, the reason why I didn't have you guys ra raise your hand, because I know there's going to be some of those Asana kids, uh, not Asana kids, uh, uh, what is it called, Awana kids? They're like, oh, I did, I did, sir, me. So I'm trying not to puff you guys up, because, you know. But the danger is that when most people are familiar with stories in the Bible, they can check out. They can be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. And the reality is most of us don't know it. 
Most of us don't know it. So when you think about Jonah, we usually think about Jonah and the what? Whale. Okay, it doesn't even say whale for once. And the fish, the big fish, is only talked about like two or three times in the entire book. It's not about the fish. But we made a big deal about the fish. And in preparation for this, I looked over nine different children's Bibles. Because we have a ton of children's Bibles at my house. Because I have a ton of kids. All right? And I looked at them and I'm like, my goodness, these guys like, didn't read the actual book of Jonah when they wrote this. Well, like a few of them. And so I want you guys to really lock in. Because the book of Jonah is actually not a children's story. It's actually an adult story. It's actually quite um, like rated R at times. But I think you can handle it. And I said rated R. That was kind of manipulative, manipulative, because I know some of you guys aren't allowed to watch rated R. You're like, ooh, rated R, I'm going to listen now. But no, but why I said that is because it, it, it talks about some of the most insane things that are so relevant. Even though it's thousands of years old, Jonah actually gets at some of the biggest issues of our day. It is so relevant even though it's thousands of years, years old. In fact, what, one of the biggest issues in our culture today, and, and I live six blocks from where George Floyd died. Okay, so, so racism, my, my whole city was on fire a couple years ago, all right? So racism is all over uh, the news. It's a big deal in my city. We talk about it. Have you guys talked about it at your church and your school? Yes, somebody? Anybody? None of you guys talking about it? Okay, some of you, thanks. Um, this book gives us the cure to racism. Isn't that cool? It gives us a solution to racism. It gives us a solution to a lot of the biggest issues of our hearts, and the biggest thing it teaches us and shows us is the heart of God. It shows us the heart of God. It, it helps us understand how God can be a God of mercy and yes, yet also a God of justice. It's such a powerful book because it shows us the very heart of God. And, and I would guess that many of you, even if you grew up in church, haven't spent a lot of time thinking deeply about who's God? Is, is this God worthy of my worship, worthy of my obedience? Do I want to follow this God? And I hope that as we go through the book of Jonah more and more, you're saying, yes, I love this God. I want this God. He's bigger than I ever realized. And I just want to tell you, he's way bigger than some of you know. He's so much bigger and better than the stories, stories that you've heard growing up. And so I'm excited. So on that note, I know we've done a lot of introduction, and we're gonna be done with it in a second. I wanna pray just for a few moments with you. And what, what, what I wanna do is this. There, there, there's gonna be three things on the screen. You can use this as a, do we have uh, those slides gonna come up right now? Oh, nice timing, good job. So what I wanna do is I want, instead of me praying and you guys just listening and checking out and thinking about other things, I want us all to just a few moments, and you can use this as a template of things to pray for. But if you're not a believer, believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're full of doubts and skepticism and all that kind of stuff, why don't you just say that to God? He can handle it. If you're like, God, I don't even know if you're real. I'm just here because I have to be here, or whatever it is. Just tell him that. He knows already. And if you're already here, let's make the most of this week, right? Like, you're already here. And you're not going anywhere. So, since that's the case, let's make the most out of it. If God is really real, if these, this book is really true, let's get the most out of it in light of eternity. So would you, I just encourage you to close your eyes just so you can focus on God. And I want to just invite you to pray just quietly for a few seconds, a few moments. And just pray these prayers. Say something like, God, would you help me make the most of this week? Would you reveal yourself to me? Maybe if you're not, if you don't know if God is real, if you, 
Do you have a bunch of church hurt? You have a hard time trusting God because of the pain in your family and your past or anything like that? Say, God, I, I don't even know if you're trustworthy or if you're even real. Would, if, that, if, if you're there, would you speak to me? Would you show me your heart? And then would you take a second, a few moments just to pray, God, would you show me where I'm at with you? Would you show me what you want to do in my life this week? So, Father, I do ask that you would speak to us. Open the eyes of our hearts to, to see wondrous things out of this story. Help us see you. Would you reveal yourself to us this weekend? The real living God. Would you meet every hurt, every doubt, every pain, every confusion? Would you meet us, Lord, where we're at? Thank you, Lord, that you can handle our mess. You can handle our questions. You're not insecure. You can handle it. You can handle our pain. So we welcome your power, your presence. You're always, you're everywhere, but we ask a special manifestation of your power and your presence to fill our hearts, to fill this room. Speak through me, Lord, through the power of your word. Empower me, help me serve these students well. Help me speak the truth and nothing but the truth, Lord, help me. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Hey, thanks for praying with me. Thanks for dealing with all these intros. I know we've done a lot of this, but it's so, so important. Because honestly, if our hearts are not in the right place, it doesn't matter what I say. It could be the greatest thing ever, the most true, the most beautiful thing in the world. But if our hearts are distracted, cluttered, then it doesn't matter. And so I'm excited to get into this text. We're going to start talking about Jonah. Um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. We're going to just read it really quickly. Would you read this out loud with me? And then we're going to go over some of the, the, the key people that we just are introduced to. Would you read with me? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against for their evil has come up before me. So the book of Jonah starts off abruptly, assuming a lot. Now, if you were to first read Jonah in its context, you would know a lot of these characters, so it assumes it. But I'm not gonna assume that because maybe you don't come from a church background. And again, if, you're, if that's you, so glad you're here. Love that. And you're in a really great place to receive and see things in a fresh way that maybe it's so hard for some Christian church kids, so I'm so excited you're here. But three main characters, who are the Ninevites? Who's the Lord? Who's Jonah? And throughout this book, we're going to increasingly see these three characters, progressively understand them more and more, and through that, understand ourselves, and most of all, really understand the heart of God. So let's start off with Nineveh. Nineveh is one of the chief cities of Assyria. Assyria was the superpower of that day, so think right now the United States of being a superpower, China, Russia, kind of, and, and so Assyria is like the key player of the day. And they were known for their brutality. Some called them a terrorist state. 
They would brag about entire fields just littered with dead bodies of the people they slaughtered. And there's a lot more about them that I'm going to get to on our fourth session. But in short, they were like Nazis. And imagine if you were in America during World War II, and then you had Nazi Germany. That, that's the kind of context and the feelings that the, the Israelites would have towards Nineveh. They were a great enemy to Israel, and they were a brutal, disgusting, wretched people, which represented by the, 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 the backyard gnomes. They like to have a good time, apparently, right? Now, let's talk about who is the Lord. Now, whenever you read in your English Bibles, the Lord in all caps like that, the Lord, oh, it doesn't show it on that screen, but that is God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. It's his personal name that's only for his people that sums up all of his character of who he is. So it's a lot more rich, it's a lot richer than just God, but it's sweet, it's his special personal name. You know, it's kind of like my wife and I have names for each other that you don't get to call her those names. And you shouldn't call me the names that she calls me. Hey, don't do that, bro. Okay? He's shining a light in my face. And the reason why I said that to you, man, listen, the reason why I'm calling you out on that is not because I'm mad. It's because what I'm about to share with you is the most important stuff in the world. And I don't want you to get distracted by something like a flashlight in my face. Do you understand? It's not about my ego trip. I don't care, man. I'm nobody. I want you guys to get this because it's the most important thing in the world. And so Yahweh is God's special name only for his people. So that's the Lord. So don't, guys, whoever is you, Pat, don't get him in trouble. That's fine, man. You're good by me, man. We're good. We're good. But, but I just want to make that clear. Guys, I'm not here for myself. I'm not here for you guys to make me feel good because you guys are all looking, listening to me. I'm here because I got something to say from here. This is the greatest book ever. And this story could change your life. And I want, that's why I'm here, guys. All right, so that's, that's a little sidebar. Now, the third character we hear about is Jonah, and in connection to Jonah, Israel. Now, Jonah was actually a legitimate prophet. We actually hear about him in 2 Kings, and Jonah was a prophet during King Jeroboam's time, Jeroboam II. Now, I know you guys are like, mar, 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 mar. what do you, oh, this, this context stuff is boring, but it's actually super important, because Jeroboam II did not love God. He did not love Yahweh. He worshiped lots of idols, but yet the whole kingdom was super successful. They had a ton of money. They were taking back lots of territories they lost to their enemies, and it felt like the glory days of David and Solomon. So they were spiritually dark, but they were balling. Like they were doing well financially. The bank was full. They had lots of territories, but they were spiritually bankrupt. And Jonah was very, very pro-Israel. He was super patriotic. He was all about Israel. You know, he had the Israeli flag. He had probably had tattoos of Israel. He's all about Israel. But the whole nation was actually spiritually dark. And so this is the issue. We have God calling a prophet of Israel to go to a foreign country that was the country of their sworn enemy. Do you see how that doesn't feel right? <laughs> so back to the text. Would you look at this? Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Antiochus, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Nineveh, what? Nineveh, go to Nineveh, what? God? That great city and called against it for the evils have come. Yeah, yeah, their evils have come up against you. That's right. They're so bad. But why go to them, God? 
Why even give them a chance? Why even give them a warning? Why, why talk to them? Let's just, let just wipe them off the map. And just the good guys will stay around. I want, I want to make two points of this text right here. God's message of judgment to Nineveh, that he's calling Jonah to deliver them, um, a message is actually a mercy and a blessing. Warnings, listen, are a blessing. They're a mercy. Let me just share a kind of a bad illustration. Imagine you guys are playing on ice. If you guys have ever, ever done that, and it looks strong, looks secure, and you're like, oh, this is good, and you start playing on ice, you're practicing broom, ball, uh, broom hockey to, 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 to win this year or whatever it is, right? And while you're doing that, some, some, some like cranky old man comes out of his house like, hey, you kids, get off that ice. You're like, well, what's wrong with you, bro? He's like, kids die every week. It's actually really weak. And the kids fall in and drown. And you're like, whoa, oh, thanks, man. Actually, I'm sorry I said all that stuff about you. Man, thank you, right? So like, that's a warning. And you're like, kind of offended that guy's calling you out. You're like, who are you? You're not my parents. What are you? And yet, but that warning is actually a mercy. You're like, man, thank you. You just saved my life. Now, where that illustration breaks down is that in this situation, Assyria is actually terrible. They, they rejoice in doing evil. Their whole empire is built on wickedness and brutality. And, and, and yet, the fact that God is, being will, is willing to send a prophet to warn them of impending judgment is actually a mercy. Do you see that? It would be ruthless and cruel for him to say nothing to them, but it's actually mercy. Also, notice this. Their, this phrase up there, their evil has come before me. Note that. Their evil has come before me. Listen. Sometimes we experience terrible things in this world, and we say, God, you can't be real because you're letting this happen. You probably are not, you, you don't, you're not noticing the pain I'm in. You're not noticing the terrible things I'm going through. Listen, God notices it all, and he cares deeply. The evil that was happening within Assyria, within Nineveh, and with what, what, God, what they were doing throughout the whole world, God noticed every little thing about it. It doesn't go unnoticed. Now let's jump into verse three. We're gonna start getting some momentum. Jonah chapter one, verse three. But Jonah, so let's see how he responds to God's call. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of Yahweh. So Jonah is about, supposed to go 500 miles towards Nineveh, east, but instead he literally goes, picks the furthest city in the known world in that time, like near Spain, and goes 1,500 miles west of where God's calling. There's a children's story Bible that I like called the Jesus Storybook Bible, if any of you guys know that one. And it, the picture, it says Nineveh this way, and then the other direction says not Nineveh. So that's basically what Jonah did. So wherever Nineveh is, I, I'm going the opposite direction. God calls him to go to Nineveh, but Jonah opts to go the opposite direction. And here we see a conflict. And you're going to actually see this throughout the text if you look carefully. God's going to call him to go up towards Nineveh, and Jonah continually goes down. He's going to go down towards Joppa, then down towards Tarshish, and then he's going to go down into the, the boat, and the, the, the writer of Jonah is using this language down on purpose, because God is calling him up into life, calling, calling him up into purpose, and Jonah is purposely going to continually go the opposite direction, down, 
And that's a spiritual analogy for us, a picture that God's calling to life, and Jonah is going to pick his own way towards life, and he's going to go down, 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 down into a spiral of, of chaos, a spiral of death, which introduces one of the biggest conflicts in the book. So listen, listen up. This book highlights a conflict between two visions of the good life. Two visions between what is good and true, what would make me most happy, what brings me life. Two visions of what, what is good and just in this world. Jonah has one picture of what that looks like. One picture of what it means for God to be just and good. And God has a different one. And Jonah is at conflict with God. He disagrees with God's heart. He disagrees with God's wisdom. And so he goes in an opposite direction, which is honestly what I do all the time and what you and I do all the time. You and I, if we can't see a good reason behind something God says, we assume that there is no good reason. You with me? Anybody like that? If we can't see a reason why that stop sign says that or that instruction says that, we're like, it's stupid. That's our human heart's bent. One of the biggest lies of sin is the belief that we always have a better idea of what good is good and just. Well, well, God, if you just did it this way, then it would make sense. Then you would be good. Then you would be worthy of worship. But because of the fall of man, all of us guys are born with a warped heart that is just prone towards skepticism and distrusting of God in his heart. Yeah, God, I, I, would, I know better. Yeah, I wouldn't do it, do it that way if I was God. All of us here are prone to have that heart that just is, is just skeptical towards God's heart and his vision for the world. So God is calling Jonah into life, into what he believes is best for the world, and Jonah sharply disagrees with God's vision and goes the opposite way, which is something we're going to unpack more and more as we go throughout this book. Now, we also see this language of Jonah trying to flee from the Lord, which is kind of funny because if you guys grew up in church, you know that God is omni-what? Present. So he's everywhere. So how do you run from someone? You're like, oh, 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 you're there. Right. How do you do that? Right. Well, you, you can't actually run from someone who is everywhere and is actually not limited by time and space. But what you can run from is his special presence. What I mean by that, in the Hebrew here, and just a side note, I'm not going to geek out too much, but the Bible in the Old Testament was mainly written in Hebrew. And this phrase, the presence of the Lord, is actually his face. He's running from his face. What does that mean? Well, it means this. There is something throughout the scripture where when you are walking in the favor of God and the blessing of God, it's like you're, you're right before his face. His face is shining upon you a favor. Here, let me give you an example in Psalm 102. Verse two, would you read this out loud while I drink water? Because I'm fighting, I'm at the very end of a cold. I don't have COVID, I got tested. And so my voice has like a 49% chance of going out by the end of the night. So would you read this out loud with me? Do not hide. So you see the psalmist here, it, it, is, is, is talking about God's face regarding his favor, his protection. And so when you choose a, a way opposite of God's way, you are removing yourself from God's face, his favor, his blessing. Jonah does not want to obey God, so he's removing himself from God's presence. He's doing it, not God. 
He's the one who's moved. God hasn't moved anywhere. And so when you and I, and I mean when I too, I'm not standing here as one who's like, man, guys, you need to listen to me. You guys are a bunch of sinners. I, I got it together. Listen to me. I'm the man of God who gets it. No, no, I'm in the boat with you. When you and I say no to God, we are removing ourselves from God's special blessing, his favor, his face upon us. And, and listen, you can be a regular church attender, small group goer, Hume camp fanatic, and yet simultaneously be fleeing from the presence of God. You could be even a youth worker here. See, we often, we evaluate our, God, our, our relationship with God in comparison to with other people. You know, I was a churchgoer, and when I was in middle school, um, I knew my Bible a little bit better than most people. I read the children's Bible a lot, so I sounded smart. And I knew when to raise your hand, like right when that song hits that one note, you're like, oh yeah, I know when to raise my hand. I knew how to play the church game, but I was a hypocrite. I was so cruel to people. I only related with people as friends if they could boost my status or at school or not. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're, you're, really, you're always sizing, oh, are you gonna help me with my clout or not? I was rude with my words. I was harsh with my words. I had a, a foul mouth because I cussed a lot because, yeah, cussing made me seem cooler and older. You guys know what I'm saying? You got those little sixth graders who are like super cussing. You're like, bro, you, come on, man. You're just trying to, trying to be, you know, you know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying? Anybody? And I judged my friends who didn't go to church super hard. I was like, guys, I go to church twice a week because my parents make it. But I go to church twice a week and you don't. And you don't do all the things. And I even give some money to church because my parents make it. But that doesn't matter. I'm better than you, and I judge people so hard, and yet I was watching porn all the time, but not on Sundays, because I gave God that, you know, you know God, I, I respect you, so I won't watch por porn on Sundays. Can, can I be real with you guys? This is, this is what I was like in middle school. I'm not projecting that and saying, oh, you guys are like that. I'm just saying that's what I was like. And I constantly measured my spirituality and where I stood with God based on other people. And I just looked at other, other people. I was like, well, as long as I'm a little bit better than them, then, then I'm good with God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But I was not living before God's face. I was at odds with God. And some of you were like me. You're running from God even right now, even though you're steeped in religious activity even though you go to Awanas, even though you have your Bible and you even have a nice Bible cover and you do all the things, but you're running from God. So here we have a holy man, Jonah, a prophet, a special man of God, and yet he, have, he may say yes to God in many different ways, but he has one big no. And it doesn't matter how many yeses he has to God, if you have a no to God, you're still saying no to God. And if you have never heard this phrase before, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And so Jonah, though he said, man, I love Yahweh, I do all this stuff, I tithe this, I do that, but he said no to God, and so then ultimately he was saying no to God and removing himself from God's presence. He was fleeing from God's favor, his face. Now what are the consequences of this? Though he was fleeing from God, God was not done with Jonah. And what you're going to see is that Jonah is so messed up, and yet God is so patient with him, just like he's so patient with me and so patient with you. So look at verse 4. Let's see how, what, what God does in light of Jonah's disobedience. Verse 4. Would you read this with me? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. You guys don't need to read the reference. Thanks, guys. In verse 4, we're introduced to an important theme that we're going to see throughout the whole book. It won't won't be the major theme, but we'll see it a lot, is that God has authority and power. Harrison used the fancy word sovereignty over everything. He's going to have power over the seas. He's going to have power over lots of things. And what we see is he has the authority over weather in a way that is unfathomable. He throws a storm at Jonah and this seasoned group of sailors in such a way that the sailors know right away that this is no ordinary storm. So they start crying out to God. You're going to see that in verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So when you, when you lighten the, the ship, it will help it be uh, raised higher so that the waters, when they come in, they won't capsize you. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part. This is the language of him going down, right? God calling him up somewhere, Jonah's going down. That's what the, the, link, the author is trying to help us see. Into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. This is, this is like a hurricane coming out of nowhere. It's supernatural. These, these sailors know something's wrong, so they're crying out to their own God, which is kind of the problem with polytheism. When you have a bunch of gods, the God of sea, the God of love, the God of war, you don't know which one you ticked off. So you're just kind of like throwing up a lotto ticket. You're like, maybe this one. Nope, that didn't work. Try this one. Nope. Oh, how about this one? Hey, nope. So they're just shotgunning right now, just crying out, asking for a God to save them. And what is Jonah doing during a storm? He's sleeping. And in the Hebrew, he's not taking some cat nap. The bro is out cold. He's out. He's like, I know some of you guys are like, your parents have to like wake. Siri just got picked up and tried to translate something in Hebrew. It was weird. But this guy's out cold, which I think is a spiritual metaphor of how he is spiritually sleeping. And I think maybe it's a sign of his escape. Because oftentimes when we try to escape something we know we ought to do and our conscience is bugging us, one of the best things you do if you want to escape all that is to do what? Just go to sleep. Let me just just my head in the ground like an ostrich and ignore my problems and avoid my pain, avoid my shame and guilt. And so I'm going to go to sleep. So Jonah is sleeping. And yet I want to make a point. When we hear Yahweh throwing a great storm at the boat, we could have this picture of this vengeful God thinking, oh, there he goes again. God is having a bad mood and just throwing storms at people and being all angry. But remember, what is God ultimately calling Jonah to do? What is he trying to do? God is trying to call Jonah to be an instrument of mercy to a wicked people. And so when you see the storm being thrown at Jonah, don't think, oh, there he goes again being grumpy. No, there he goes again being merciful. God could have easily just killed Jonah right there for his directly disobeying him. But he had mercy and patience with him. God disciplines Jonah to wake him up from his spiritual slumber so that he can use him to bring life to not only a nation but to himself. God isn't punishing Jonah for his sin, but he's trying to bring Jonah back from his sin with this storm which is often what God does with us. Not every time, but often when there are storms in our life, trials that are so painful, they're actually God saying, hey, I'm trying to wake you up. I'm not punishing you. I'm trying to bring you back from your sin. 
I'm not punishing you for your sin. I'm trying to bring you back from your sin. And because you're so stubborn and you're so hard-headed that I need to throw storms at you to wake you up. How many of you guys are like me and you often need storms to wake up? I need storms to wake myself up and it's a mercy from God. Look at verse six with me. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you, you sleeper? Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What would be so alarming is here's this non-Israelite, call him a pagan sailor, okay, is echoing literally the same words of God. God said in the first few verses, wake up, get up, and call out in the Hebrew. And so the sailor's doing the same thing in God's power, waking him up. Jonah's probably like, whoa, wait, what did you just say? Because he knows that's been his nightmare. That's Oh my gosh, Siri, what do I keep saying that makes Siri go off? All right. I don't even know how to turn off, so I'll figure it out later, all right? He calls him out to pray, but Jonah can't pray. Jonah won't pray. He has nothing to say. He knows he's walking in disobedience with Yahweh. What are you going to say to God? Verse 7, and they said to one another, come, let's cast lots. Lots would just kind of be like dice or like, you know, passing out straws, whoever gets the smallest straw, it's that person. Um, it was just a way for them to, to, to maybe use the power of the gods to try to figure something out. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So, the, so God in his power and his authority, his sovereignty, uses this, this pagan ritual to expose Jonah. And, and they cast a lot and it's Jonah. And Jonah's like, dang, they got me, right? Jonah's caught. And so they begin frantically asking him a bunch of questions. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? I mean, they're freaking out because they're about to die. Like, literally... The ship is about to be ripped to shreds. We're not talking about like this and they're like, oh man, I'm a little seasick. Like, they're like freaking out because the ship is about to explode. So they're frantically like grabbing Jonah and you can imagine how intimidating, like you got a whole, whole group of sailors just like cornering him. You're like, hey bro, what are you doing? What you, why, where are you from? What are you, what are you, what? That, that's what's going on with Jonah. Listen to his answer. There's so much to learn about Jonah's answer. Verse nine, and he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. There's a lot here. Now, the first thought many of us would have, if you listen, is you hypocrite. I can't believe this guy. You don't worship or fear Yahweh, Jonah. We've been reading along this book. You're a hypocrite. But that is the power of this book. This book has the power to draw you out and make you feel super judgy to Jonah. Be like, Jonah, I would never be like that. And it's like, bam, I'm talking about you. And that's what this book does. I love how one Bible teacher, Tim Mackey, puts it. It's on the screen if you want to look along. I know it's late, guys. This is a late time to have a chapel, but, but track with me. The very fact that you are feeling superior. Oh, it's not on the screen. That's okay. Just listen up. The very fact that you are feeling superior to Jonah is you are following into his trap. Because what he's doing with the story is holding a mirror right up to your face and saying, oh, really? You've never had a contradiction between what you say you believe and how you actually live? Really? You're superior to Jonah? Congratulations. You also are asleep at the wheel if you believe that about yourself. 
See, Jonah, throughout this book, we're going to feel really sick about how messed up Jonah is. But it's going to be a mirror just for our own hearts as well, of seeing how much we are all like Jonah in many different ways. Also, notice the order of how he answers the questions. What's the first thing he says in this line of questions? The first thing he identifies, he says, first of all, that he's a Hebrew, and then a worshiper of Yahweh. Did you guys track that? Did you catch that? The first thing he says is, I'm a Hebrew. Oh, yeah, and then, and then I worship and, and fear Yahweh, which is very interesting. See, this suggests that his identity, and this is shown throughout the book, is primarily and first and foremost an Israelite. He prioritizes his country, his patriotism over his God. And, and the reality, is, I'm probably going to get emails from this, I see this a lot in our country, is that many people are first and foremost an American before they're a Christian, and it's destroyed our witness in the world, and that we have mixed what it means to be American and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That, that, I, I could go harder, but I, I don't want too many emails. I don't like emails. But throughout the book, we see Jonah's religion is first being an Israelite then before a worshiper of Yahweh. It's kind of like if you've ever met an Irish person and you say, hey, are you Catholic? They're like, oh, how'd you know? Well, you're like, because you're Catholic. Oh yeah, of course I'm Catholic, I'm Irish. Or if you ever met a Scandinavian person, what are Scandinavian people? Oh, they're Lutherans. Because Scandinavian people are Lutherans. That's what you're supposed to be. And likewise, like Jonah, some of you guys are Christians because of course you're a Christian. You grew up in a Christian home. And you live in Bakersfield. I don't know, is that a lot of Christians? Yeah, there you go. And there's just this sense of like, oh, I have to be a Christian because my parents are Christians and my friends are Christians and my church is Christian and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you're even baptized and you shared a testimony because you knew afterwards you're gonna get a Sunday, you know, because kids get Sundays after baptism and everyone's like, yeah, you're baptized. And it's just all this expectation and pressure for you to be a Christian. And, and I'm not dogging on you if you grew up in church because like my kids are growing up in church, their dad's a pastor, right? So that's good. But one way we could not redeem it is that we have this culture where you just assume these truths. You're like, yeah, of course God's real. But you haven't really thought about it. And essentially, your culture becomes first. And then the gospel is kind of just thrown in there. And wherever the culture ultimately goes, where your family goes, where your friends go, ultimately that's where you go. And that's why you have so many people who grew up in the church, but they're doing something called deconstructing now. They have no semblance of true biblical Christianity because their Christianity was never even the Bible. It was really just whatever their culture was. And so they adapted their culture. Their parents are Christian. Okay, I'm going to be Christians. And then they go to college. Their friends are not Christian. Okay, I won't be a Christian. And my, my fear is that many of you here are like that. You actually don't know Jesus. You have just adapted to the culture because that's what people do. That's what humans do to adapt to their culture, to survive, to thrive, be happy. Why would you be like, I'm going to be a Buddhist mom and dad? when your whole family's a Christian. You're just not gonna do that. You're not gonna think about that. And so one of the reasons why we have Hume Lake Campus is, is an opportunity for you to get rooted so you actually know what you believe. So it's coming from here, it's coming from here, and not just coming from your parents, or your culture, or your church, or your friends. Man, that's a long rant, I gotta stop. One final comment on the verse, I love it, because Jonah says he is the God of the land and the sea. One commentator, he says this, <laughs> When he says that the Lord is God of heaven who made sea and the land, they know they're in trouble. Who runs away from a God of the sea on a ship? 
So, so Jonah makes clear that this God is not one of the gods of the sailors. He's the God. He's the supreme one who created all of them. And all the other gods are just demons and different figments of imagination. He is the God, and he's not limited by a certain space or a certain culture. He's everywhere, and he reigns over all. He's the creator of all. And the sailors understanding how big this is. You see by the response. Look at verse 10. Would you read this out loud with me? Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Good job. Keep going. They hear Jonah and are more awake to reality than Jonah is. They're like, wait, what? Your God is the God of heaven, of earth, the sea, the land, and you're running from him on a boat? Bro, are you dumb? Like, what are you doing? You are risking all of our lives for your stupidity, and you're fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Who does that? What's wrong with you, man? They're more aware and more awake, and this is going to be something you're going to see throughout the book of Jonah, is that the people who shouldn't get it get it more than Jonah, and Jonah who should get it doesn't get it. Jonah's blind, even though he's supposed to be the one who's illuminated and gets things. And yet the sailors who are pagan, who don't know Yahweh from anything else, and the people of Nineveh also, we'll see later, they're the ones who become awake to spiritual reality. And this is just so important to know is that sometimes we think we can hide our sin. Our culture says, do whatever you want as long as it makes you happy and it doesn't hurt another person. But listen, no matter how hard you try to contain your sin, it will always eventually affect other people. Jonah is in a terrible situation because of disobedience and his actions are threatening the lives of the entire ship. So let me, let me land the plane. We're gonna abruptly end at verse 10. Let me make a final concluding kind of applications to us and give you a little hope at the end. Listen, I kind of alluded to this, but we miss the point of Jonah when we examine Jonah from the outside. It's just kind of like observing, oh yeah, so Jonah did that. Oh, whoa, he did that? Wow, did you hear about... But, but Jonah, like I said, is a mirror for our hearts. So this week as you pray, as you talk with your cabin, as you listen to these messages, you worship, ask God, honestly, God, how am I like Jonah? How is this a window to my own heart? See, Jonah was fleeing from the Lord, and we can be super judgy. Like, Jonah, you fled from the Lord after he talked to you audibly? But let me ask you a question. How are you fleeing from the Lord? Are you fleeing from the Lord? What is your Nineveh that God is calling you to? Maybe it's something to give up. Maybe it's something you need to do that you have repeatedly said, no, God, I'm going to go to Tarshish. And you wouldn't say Tarshish, but you're just going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. How many, maybe there's something that God has been repeatedly just knocking on your heart and you've you're just been hardening your heart and said, no, 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 I'm good. Let me just say yes to you, and God, I'll go to Hume Lake. Just leave me alone. Let me have that relationship that I know is bad, that everyone's warning me, but, but I'll do all this other stuff. I'll even read my Bible and go to Wana. Or I'll even do this thing, this or this thing, but, but let me just have this one thing. Listen, if God, Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You can't compromise with God. You can't be like God. You can have this, but that stuff you can't touch. It won't work. It won't work. Are you running from his face? Why would you run from life? Are you spiritually asleep? Why would you be asleep to reality? What is holding you back from surrendering everything? 
Is there an area of your life that you question the wisdom and goodness of God? This is a great opportunity this weekend for you to sincerely take inventory of your heart about these matters. Listen, be honest with your heart. At the end of it, if you come to the realization, you're like, man, I just, I was honest about it and I'm just, I, I just still doubt. You know what? I'm okay with that if you actually dealt with your, your doubts. You're real with God about your hurt, your anger towards him, your distrust of him, or your rebellion towards him. Just be real wherever you're at. Be honest with him. He can handle it. He knows. He wants to hear from you. And let me be clear, these are the most important matters you could ever consider. Listen, that's why I got on that guy earlier. It's more important than who you're gonna get married to, what school you're gonna go to, what job you'll have, more important than your team, your whatever it is. But let me end with a glimmer of hope as I bring it down. There was one person who was also asleep on a boat, if you've read the Bible. Anybody know who that is? Jesus. Jesus was also asleep on a boat one time. But unlike Jonah, Jesus is not running from God's call. He doesn't run from his enemies. He actually runs towards his enemies. In fact, he's the son of God walking in full obedience and before the face of his father. And while Jonah is sleeping to escape and ignore reality, Jesus is sleeping at peace because he holds the whole world in his hands and he's secure in the Father's love and favor. While Jonah gets up scared for his life, Jesus wakes up at peace and calms the disciples down. While Jonah needs to be sacrificed to stop the storm, we'll see that next chapter, Jesus speaks to the storm and the storm obeys. And as we continue through this book of Jonah, we're gonna see more and more how we're a lot like Jonah and we're gonna see more and more how Jesus is so much better than Jonah. And Jesus is all we need. Jesus is the answer to every issue that we could ever have. And that's what I'm really excited to go into this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jonah. And Lord, I thank you for each one of these students here. Lord, I love them. I, I feel a deep affection and care for them. I care for them even though I don't know most of them. And yet that is nothing compared to the deep love you have for them. I thank you, Lord, that you brought every single one of them in your sovereignty, your power and authority. You brought them to this place for this time, and you want to meet them. And I do pray you'd meet them. I know that in this room, there's lots of hurts. There's lots of issues and trauma. Some of them are so tired, and they're not tired and sleeping and checking out because they're lazy, but because their life is so hard at home that they barely get to rest. Lord, whoever those people are, Lord, would you meet them where they're at? Show them that you're the God who knows and sees every evil. You know the evil done towards them, and also you know the evil that we do, Lord. And would you meet us? Even though, even though so many of us are like Jonah, fleeing from your presence, Lord, thank you that you chase us down. You, you, you don't let us go. You keep pursuing us. And so would you meet every student today? Meet him in the conversations. Meet him at the meals. Meet him at chapel. Meet him at worship. Meet him as they sleep. Welcome you, Lord. And Lord, if there's anything that I said in this session that was not accurate to your word and your heart, would you correct me? But if anything I said and everything I said is true, let it deeply change us forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.